Right, family. So I'm going to be uh, continuing with the series that we've been on, which is unwrapped, and today is our last Sunday. I'm going to take my cap off. Um, and so I believe the Lord is going to bless us today. Let's just pray before we start. Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, thank you for, thank you for Jesus. Uh, thank you for, for sending Jesus to us. Lord, thank you that this day for us is not just another celebration. It's not just another Sunday. This is the day that we commemorate the birth of our Savior. The one that restores us into that wonderful relationship with the Father. The one that sacrificed everything that he had, everything that he was, so that he could be confined to humanity in order to save us. Lord, we are grateful today. And we are thankful that we are of those who can say, yes, we know Jesus. Uh, he's not just born in the world, but he's been born in our lives. And so we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So family, I'm going to continue with the series that we've been on. And uh, I'm going to be changing slides. I've got just a few slides. I want us to read Genesis chapter 3 as an introduction to, to my message. And the message today is unwrapped, the gift of joy. How many of us know that Jesus has come to give us joy? But how many of us also know that not all of us have joy? <laughs> Alright, so then there is a problem. If Jesus has come to give us joy, and yet we don't experience the fullness of His joy, uh, something must be wrong. Do you agree with me? Because he has already come and therefore everything that he stands for has been fulfilled. And so I want to take us back to, to the beginning as I paint this story of, of just the redemption that Jesus has brought for us. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 3 right after. Welcome to the kids. We've got them here. So parents, be fine. Uh, we know that the kids are here. So don't be bothered. We're okay. All right. So Genesis chapter 3 from verse 7. Uh, verse 7 to 10, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Powerful story. This is obviously after they had sinned, and the enemy came and tempted them. And Eve started, and she ate the fruit, and she gave part of it to Adam. And so here, the Bible says, immediately after they had eaten, they realized that they were naked. And as they realized that they were naked, obviously the, the, the right thing to do is quickly try to find a way to get something that they would cover themselves with. And so the Bible says that they took fig leaves and, and, and made covering for themselves. As they cover themselves, I'm, I'm, as I was pondering on this scripture, I'm thinking the reason why I underlined the first one and the second one is that they sowed fig leaves for themselves, but when, when God came and called them, and asked them where they were, they said we were still naked, even though they had made themselves fig leaves in the previous verse. 
Why is it that they had made themselves coverings and yet they still were naked before God? I believe this gave us a picture of what we do as people in our attempt to try and cover our own nakedness. See, when we've run away from God, when we've fallen short of the standard of God, and our immediate reaction almost is us trying to find something in our own strength to cover up our own nakedness. And when we are confronted with the holiness of God and we still realize that even though we have tried to cover this thing up, we are still naked before God. That even though we've worked so hard to try and hide ourselves, our shame, our guilt, our unrighteousness, even though we've tried everything we know to do, and yet when we come face to face with the Holy God, we realize, Lord, we are hiding because we're still naked. That even our best attempts haven't been able to cover up our nakedness. And this was the situation with Adam and Eve. They realized, well, we've done our own things to try and cover up our nakedness. But yet, when we faced God, we realized we were still naked. And they hid. When you continue with chapter 3, when God realized that the attempt of men are unable to cover their sin. That whatever man does is unable to cover up his own nakedness. The Bible says that God killed an animal. And the blood was shed and he took the skin of the animal and made coverings for them. And that was a prophetic indication of what would happen in the New Testament. That in order for our nakedness to be covered, the blood had to be shed. And God had to do it himself because man was unable to do it. And so God killed an animal and covered up their nakedness. But that was still temporary because they had to do that every single year in order for their nakedness to be covered. I call this a hint of redemption. When you read Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, it's a beautiful story. A beautiful story of of deliverance and a picture, again, of salvation. The children of Israel find themselves in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. They've been captivated by their masters. And they've been crying out to God, who is going to save us? Who is going to save us? And suddenly Moses comes to a place where he has an encounter with God. And God says to him, you will be the savior of my people. I'm going to use you to save my people out of Egypt. And so then God says to Moses, you're going to go back to Egypt and this is what you're going to do. Moses complains to God, well, God, I can't speak. And you can read that in Exodus Exodus chapter 2 and 3, the discussion of Moses and God. And finally, Moses says, well, Lord, I'm going to go. And so he goes, he brings his brother along with him. And so when he gets in front of Pharaoh, the Lord says to him, hey, throw your stuff down and it will turn into a snake. And then Pharaoh is going to let you go. He tries that the first time, and Pharaoh had his own magicians. He says, you know, this is not so big. I'll call my own people, the sorcerers, they'll do the same. And the Bible says they did the same. But the second plague, which for me is so funny, uh, is that it's, it's a plague of blood. Blood everywhere in Egypt. Now, if, if you studied history, you'd understand that, that the main source of water for the Egyptians was the Nile River. And, and, and yet the Nile River was struck with blood. In other words, there was shortage of water. And every place where there was water in Egypt, there was blood. 
Imagine, imagine as a king pharaoh, you're experiencing this. There's blood every single place you go to. People are crying. We can't have water. We can't cook. We can't do this and that. And yet the Bible says at the end of that, that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart even more. That the power of God hardened his heart. And so uh, Abraham, Moses goes back to God and says, God, this guy doesn't want to let us go. And God says to him, go again and perform another miracle. And the next miracle he performs is a, another funny miracle, which is a miracle of, of some of, of frogs. Now, the Bible says there were frogs everywhere in Egypt. Now, we've got ladies in this church, and this is not a generalization, but in your, if you have ladies around and you've got frogs jumping in your room, you, you, you must know that it will be a funny story around. But anyway... We see frogs coming, and the Bible says there were frogs everywhere. Imagine you are the king, and you're seeing frogs for the first time in your bed, in your pots, on your couches. Every single place that you go to, you see frogs. And yet the Bible says he hardened his heart. You, you would almost think that God is playing a game with Moses. Why is God sending Moses back and forth when he knows that a, a Pharaoh is not going to let the people go? This is what I think God is wanting to show Moses and us. Is that God is so powerful, but yet his power could not save him. God is so powerful and he had to show Moses that I am so powerful that I can do this. But it's not my power that saves you. The blood has to be shed in order for your salvation to be done. Unless the blood is shed, your salvation cannot take place. Although I have displayed my power to Pharaoh, yet he has hardened his heart and he has refused to let you go. And then God gives us a picture in Exodus 12 when we see that the firstborn child, every firstborn child in Egypt died. And God said for the Israelite, you shall kill an animal. And take the blood of that animal and put it on your lintel. And that would be the sign of your salvation. That a lamb has taken your place, the place of your children and your household. That you will not die. Not because I'm powerful, but because the blood has been shed. See, that's a hint of redemption. In other words, I'm so powerful, but my power is not powerful enough to save you. Because I am bound by my word. I said, if you sin, you shall die. And therefore, if I contravene my word, I cease to be God. And so he had to stick to his word and therefore blood had to be shed. So Sam spoke this morning about the prophecy of Isaiah. Fast forward into the New Testament. And he prophesied that a son shall be born and he shall be called Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And I think when Isaiah was prophesying this, people must have been wondering what this meant. Because nobody, all the Jewish people knew that nobody can see God and live. The belief was that if you see God, you must die because He's, he's so magnificent that your brain cannot stand watching and encountering God. That He's so powerful that if you come face to face with Him, you cannot live. But yet Isaiah gets this revelation that, that, that Emmanuel will be born. 
And God is going to be wrapped in human flesh in order to save us. So that takes us to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2 to us quickly. be looking at me while I'm looking for the verse. Luke chapter 2 from verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Powerful scripture. As I was even thinking of this, I'm thinking, Jesus is born, and yet God chooses to announce his birth first to shepherds. And shepherds were a class of people that were ostracized and neglected. They weren't your princes and your princesses who were in palaces. These were people, in fact, we see the picture here, that they were outside watching over their sheep. And God chooses to go to the people that are neglected by society and announces to them the birth of Jesus. And I believe he was trying to cause an inclusion to take place. That the breach between the the rich and the poor, the divide between the people and the classes in society that existed, that Jesus came to bring reconciliation to that as well. He announces the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. But he says something very profound. He says that he will cause great joy to take place. That Jesus is my great joy. That the birth of Jesus is more than just us being saved. The birth of Jesus brings joy to our lives. The birth of Jesus brings joy to our marriages. It brings joy to our career. It brings joy to our studies. That the birth of Jesus is far more than us celebrating just Christmas. The birth of Jesus must bring joy in our hearts. There's a story in Mark chapter 10. Read, I think, from verse 46. It's a story of a man called Bartimaeus. The Bible doesn't give us more about this guy, but the Bible says he was a man who was blind. He was begging and he was sitting on the roadside. Jesus and his disciples had just come into Jericho. And they had done the ministry that they needed to do. Now they were on their way out of Jericho. And so as they were going, the crowd was following Jesus out of the city of Jericho. Bartimaeus was sitting on the roadside begging and he was blind. He began to ask people, what's happening? Why is there so much commotion? Why is there so much noise around? And they told him, they said, it is Jesus of Nazareth. And the writer, who, who's Dr. Luke, 
puts an emphasis on the fact that they says it is Jesus of Nazareth. Oftentimes when they refer to Jesus of Nazareth, they're referring to Jesus' humanity. They're referring to Jesus, the son of a carpenter. They're referring to Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. And so they said to Bartimaeus, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And when he heard that it was Jesus, he began to cry. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What a contrast. He is told, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He begins to cry, son of David, have mercy on me. Powerful revelation. Because son of David means that, that he is the king. And mercy would only be extended by somebody who had the ability of a king. And so he's saying, King Jesus, give me mercy. I think people surrounding him were probably surprised. Why are you calling him king? Because we know him as Jesus of Nazareth. But the Bible says the more they stopped him, the louder he became. They said, shut up. The more he shouted. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard the Bible says he stopped and went back to him and said, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe you are like, like Bartimaeus. You have a revelation of who Jesus is. You know him in your life as king. You know him and you've been serving him. But yet you find yourself in the situation of Bartimaeus. You're blind. You're begging and you're on the roadside. Your future looks obscure, uncertain. Even as you're going into the new year, you just don't know how because you're blind. Everybody's rejoicing and making plans and resolutions for the new year. But when you look forward into your new year, everything is dark and obscure. For your business, for your children, for your family. You find yourself like Bartimaeus. I know Jesus. He's the son of David. I have a revelation of who this man is. But I'm blind. I can't see anything for my family. Nothing for myself. No future for me. Everything around me is dark and obscure. And he had to be confined to depending on the mercy of other people. Because as a blind man, the only way he could make money or a living was by begging. And maybe you have found yourself in that situation. Where because you can't see, because you have found yourself in a desperate and hopeless situation, you can do nothing but to depend on people. That your life literally, becomes what people want it to become. If people give you more, you have more. If people don't give you, you have nothing. If people give you less, you have less. Bartimaeus finds himself begging. And the only way for him to survive is if people feel sorry for him and give him something. And also Bartimaeus finds himself on the roadside. Everybody's following Jesus on the road, but yet he finds himself on the roadside, on the side of the road. Maybe some of you are here, you feel 
you feel left out. Like this 2016 kind of pushed you aside. You feel like you've left the race. Like you can just watch everybody else passing by you and going forward and progressing. You can watch everybody who's doing business and ethically and yet they're just going forward and their business is growing and thriving and progressing. You see other families thriving and full of joy and excitement and yet you feel like you're sitting on the roadside watching everybody else progressing but not you. And Bartimaeus finds himself there. He knows who this man is. He knows that this is the son of David. He knows that Jesus has the ability to give him mercy. But yet he finds himself on the roadside begging. But I want to say this to you. If you find yourself on the roadside, there's good news for you. The Bible says when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said to him, this man who's been born today is going to cause great joy to happen in your life. That this man who's been born today, whom we are commemorating today, has brought great joy and hope in your life. And therefore, there's hope for you. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your future. You might not be able to see your future, but Jesus can see your future. Everybody else might have forgotten about you, left you out, chased you out, ostracized and neglected you. But let me tell you this. That Jesus still loves you. That everybody else might abandon you, but Jesus, the Bible says, will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always with you. He's always on your side. That's what the birth of Jesus does for us. It brings hope. It brings joy in our lives. And we are entitled to the joy of heaven when we know Jesus. See, I grew up in the, going to the Catholic Church. And no disrespect to the Catholic Church. I think a lot of changes are happening in the Catholic Church. Good changes. But I grew up in the Catholic Church. And the reason why I went to church, I just knew that the only way to be at peace with my mom, I just had to go to church. <laughs> so she would literally wake us up very, very early in the morning, get us ready. <laughs> then we would go to church. Until I was about 12, then a friend of mine invited me to their church, which at that time, obviously, we called a sect because it was a non-Catholic church. Um, so they invited me to this church, uh, my friend's church, and I went to that friend's church, and I just, something was different. I felt like for the first time I had a connection with God, that I just didn't go to church. I just, you know, as a Catholic person, I knew everything. I knew when to kneel down, when to stand up, when to say this, when to repeat this. I literally knew everything. But here, things were just, they were different. I didn't know what to do. They, they, they would sing now and pray now and sing again and just do a whole lot of different things. But I felt a real connection for the first time with God. And I knew something was different about that church. But I, I couldn't tell my mom because, you know, going to the Catholic church was... My entire family went to the Catholic church. I'm the last born of 12 people. I can't be the rebellious one saying, I'm not going to go to that church when everybody else is going to the church. And so what I started doing was I would go with my mom in the morning to her church and then I would 
run out after that and I would go to my friend's church. At about 13, I finally made a decision to follow Jesus. And I remember it so well that, you know, this preacher I was preaching, I can't remember him. And I walked down the aisle and I just, I just started crying and sobbing and gave my life to Jesus. And about two weeks after that, I joined the band. Sam can't believe me, but I joined the band. Seriously, believe you me, I did. I joined the band and I started singing. Um, and I sang for a long, long time. But here's the story and the reason why I'm sharing that. That you might be here. That you, every year you celebrate Christmas. Every year you come to church. Every day you come to church. It's, maybe for you it's a routine. Maybe it's a tradition. Maybe it's just something you do as a family. You go to church. But you've never had that personal connection with God. That, that the story of Jesus remains a story just like other stories. But something had to change for me and I believe something has to change for you. And if you're here today, you feel like, like that's you. I'm going to ask us all to stand, please. And you feel like that's you. That you, you've been coming to church like I, like I used to go to church. But yet you've, you've never had that personal connection with God. You've never made a decision for yourself and said, I want to follow God. I want to follow Him. I want to have Jesus in my life so that I can experience that great joy that He brings. And if that's you, I'm going to ask all of us, please, to have our eyes closed. If that's you, please just raise your hand. We won't embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. If that's you, you're here, and you feel like you need that personal connection with God. That is not dependent on other people bringing you to church, but that is you and Jesus. If that's you, please just wave at me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that hand. Thank you, Jesus. I'm waiting for you, somebody else. You're here, and you know very well that church has been a tradition for you. In fact, your heart has rebelled against this church idea for too long. But now you just want, you want your personal relationship with Jesus. I'm still waiting for you. And if that's you, just wave at me. Thank you for that hand, my brother. I want us to pray together. Family, can we all pray together? And I want you to pray this prayer for you personally as you've raised your hand. Say with me, Lord Jesus, I invite you in my heart today. Come and save me. Make me your son and daughter. Father, thank you that there's rejoicing in heaven when your sons and your daughters come back to you.
So we celebrate with heaven and we thank you for this. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, fam, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.